Today on Blue 58, three non-typical opponents populate an early portion of the Packers' schedule in 2019. What do we make of the Broncos, Eagles, and Cowboys? Then let's take a brief moment to recognize a milestone. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Bearding. Happy to be with you here for episode number 200. Big round number today. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Hope you had a great 4th of July. Ate a lot of brats. I certainly did. And uh, just enjoyed the weather. Hope it was nice wherever you are. It was muggy where I am, but that's kind of to be expected in July. That just happens. We deal with it. We move on. Football season is right around the corner and the cool weather that it brings with it. We are going on a bit of a tour through all the opponents the Packers are going to be playing in 2019. We're doing that by asking a few questions. Uh, first, what were they in 2018? What was their most notable offensive addition this offseason? Then we flip that around and ask about their most notable defensive addition. Then we ask, how concerned should we be about the Packers facing them this season? We do all this recognizing that it is July, and there's a lot of things that are going to change between now and the time that the Packers play these teams. These teams could functionally be completely different by the time they face off with the Packers, but I still think it's worthwhile to do this because it gives us a bit of baseline information and something to look back on when it's time for these games to occur. So let's dive right in. Last time around, we talked about the the, the Packers NFC North opponents, and I think that's a good place to start because the Packers gonna, are going to play about a third of their schedule against those teams in 2019. Six games. That makes up your entire divisional schedule. Now we're into the non-divisional opponents, and the first one the Packers play this year is the Denver Broncos, a team they haven't played since November of 2015. This set of three opponents is kind of interesting because two out of the three of them have significant ties to, I think, what could fairly be characterized as um, some significant roots in the end of the Mike McCarthy era. Dating back to 2015, the Denver Broncos are really one of the first teams to really crack the post-MVP number two Aaron Rodgers Packers. The Denver Broncos in 2015 absolutely handled the Packers, who were coming off a bye week, and they just beat the snot out of Rodgers and the entire Packers offense. Rodgers was 14 of 22 for 77 yards that day. Denver just had a hellacious pass rush and that showed some serious problems with the Packers offense and they never ultimately really got fixed. Now the Packers face the Broncos for the first time since then. The Broncos are coming off a 2018 season in which they finished 6-10, and 10, good for third in the AFC West. After his good season with the Minnesota Vikings in 2017, the Broncos decided to hitch their wagon to Case Keenum. And for their trouble, they got 3,900 or so yards passing, 18 touchdowns, and 15 interceptions. Basically, it was the pre-Minnesota Case Keenum experience. But even with a lackluster quarterback, they were still slightly above average on offense in 2018, thanks in part to a good running game. By Football Outsiders DVOA metric, they were fifth in the league in rushing. That's in large part due to the efficiency of rookie running back Philip Lindsay. He had just over 1,000 yards last year and only 192 carries, also nine touchdowns for his trouble. Shifty little guy, 5'8", 190 pounds, but he made the Pro Bowl. Good for him and good for the Broncos in having a good young player 
like that. Their defense has been their hallmark since basically the Peyton Manning era, John Elway era, started in Denver, um, was good in 2018, and it's been good for a while now. They were fourth by the DVOA metric uh, that Football Outsiders uses, in large part because of their dual sack masters. Von Miller, the perennial all-star, had 14 and a half sacks last year. Bradley Chubb, their fifth overall pick in 2018, the Broncos that is, uh, had 12 as a rookie. So it seems like a pretty good overall picture here. So why 6 and 10? It seems like it was the quarterback thing. And if you look at Case Keenum's game logs last year versus their win-loss record, it's hard to say exactly why, but you still get the get the feeling that it was the quarterback that was the problem. The wins and losses the Broncos stacked up last year don't seem entirely tied to his performance, at least by passer rating or adjusted yards per attempt, two of those metrics that tie pretty closely to a team's success. But on the other hand, you never really got the sense that he was doing a lot to really win any games for the Broncos. He was just sort of there. He didn't necessarily lose a ton of games for him, though there were a few that he did not play particularly well, and you don't get 15 interceptions in a season without having a few games like that. But there were plenty of games on their schedule last year where he didn't necessarily take anything off the table for them either. But that ties in nicely to their most notable offensive addition. Because after a year with Case Keenum at the helm, the Broncos have decided to move on. They've traded him and have brought in a different quarterback. Actually, two quarterbacks. The most notable offensive addition the Broncos made this past offseason was Joe Flacco, who they acquired from Baltimore for a 2019 fourth-round pick. Joe Flacco has not been great. But they've traded for him with the idea that he's going to be their starting quarterback, at least for now, because they also drafted Missouri's Drew Locke 42nd overall in the 2019 NFL Draft. I don't want to go into the particulars of Flacco versus Locke versus what they're doing at the quarterback position, if it makes sense or not, but I think these are notable transactions because it's kind of the John Elway era in a nutshell. A strong defense in Denver, but constantly trying to figure out the quarterback situation. It dates back again to Peyton Manning, the litany of guys they've tried since then, and now just the three guys they've um, acquired at the position in the last two years, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, and Drew Locke. Each of those three guys, you could argue, should be or was at least in part acquired because the Broncos thought they'd be starting a significant number of games in Denver. Whether or not that turns out to be the case will probably do a lot for John Elway's long-term stability in Denver. On defense, it's not even worth looking at any one of the players that the Broncos acquired this offseason because you just have to go straight to the top to find their most notable defensive addition. It's Vic Fangio, the former defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears, the longtime well-regarded defensive mind throughout the NFL, now takes over as the head coach in Denver, the very first time he's ever had a head coaching job. I think you can fairly argue that he was almost exclusively responsible for the Bears' defensive success last year, and really since he arrived there. Having Khalil Mack obviously doesn't hurt, but Vic Fangio is just so good at what he does that he's going to elevate just about any group of defensive players that you give him. 
That is probably what's going to happen in Denver. And they've got a pretty good crew of defensive players there too, as you've probably already gathered from our discussion so far. Vic Fangio is a huge addition for the Denver Broncos, and having him around significantly complicates the picture for how the Packers should feel or how we should feel about the Packers facing off against the Denver Broncos this year. I think there should be an above average level of concern when the Packers play the Broncos this year. On the one hand, they're probably going to be starting either Joe Flacco or rookie Drew Locke at quarterback in week three. You have a hard time not feeling good about that. But on the other hand, the defensive talent is more than likely still going to be there. And Vic Fangio has historically given Aaron Rodgers quite a few problems. When you have the pass rushers and defensive backfield that the Broncos have and your defensive coordinator, by default, I guess, is Vic Fangio, you've got to feel pretty good about your chances against any offense in the NFL. And with the Packers pretty early in the process, when they play the Broncos, it's hard to not be at least a little bit concerned. I wouldn't say very concerned, but above average. There's more concern here than in an average game, I would say. Let's move on to week four. The Packers play the Philadelphia Eagles at Lambeau Field there, their second non-NFC North opponent of 2019. In 2018, the Eagles were 9-7. and seven. That 9-7 and seven record was good for second in the NFC East, and the Eagles were just one playoff missed field goal away from ending up without a playoff win the year after they won the Super Bowl. 2018 is hard to point to anything other than quarterback injuries as defining features of the Philadelphia Eagles. They had a bit of uncertainty at the quarterback position to play, to say the least. Carson Wentz played just 11 games for them last year. Nick Foles was Nick Foles in the five games plus playoff stuff that he did for them. Good enough generally, but not anybody's preferred long-term starter. As good as he's been, he still kind of has that label, I feel. Still, overall, their pass offense was efficient. They were 11th in the DVOA metric. Their team passer rating, a very good 100.7 last year. Collectively, it seems like they were getting it done through the air. Injuries really seemed to slow down their run game. Jay Ajayi only played four games. Darren Sproles only six. Their leading rusher had just 511 yards. The, the run game being a big issue is is going to cause some mixed reactions in the 2019 NFL. People are going to point to it and say, well, it doesn't necessarily matter anyway. That's probably true. Um, though I do want do push back on the idea that a run game doesn't matter at all. And I think all things being equal, you'd rather have a good run game than not have one. And no matter how you slice it, the Eagles didn't have much of a run game in 2018. And I don't know how that figures to be much better in 2019. The defense was about average against the past pass, better against the run. Overall, nothing too special last year. Their most notable offensive addition this offseason, though, has to be Richard Rodgers. I'm just kidding. It's not Richard Rodgers. Their most notable offensive addition has to be Andre Dillard. Uh, draft pick with a few Packers connections. Some people thought he might be a target for the Packers towards the end of that first round. Considered a very, very solid pass blocker. One of those guys they write about as an instant starter. He's just going to be penciled in there for the next eight to 10 years on the left side of the Eagles offensive line or wherever he ends up playing there. He's going to be a regular starter if he stays healthy for the foreseeable future. He was Dane Brugler of the athletic.com. Dane Brugler's uh, 11th 
best player in the entire draft class, and the Eagles got him at 22nd overall. They did have to trade up to get him, but still, uh, you'll you'll take that if uh, if that's the uh, if that's the situation. If you can get the 11th best player in the draft at number 22, you're still probably winning there. On defense, when we're talking notable additions, we've got another interesting Packers connection. Uh, the biggest addition the Eagles made on defense this past offseason was Malik Jackson, the defensive tackle who signed with the Eagles after a few productive seasons in Jacksonville. He is thought to have been a target of the Packers. They were rumored to be in the running, but he ends up in Philadelphia. The player does not interest me here as much as the story because he becomes a bit of an interesting footnote in Packers free agent history. The Packers had an unusually productive free agent period this spring. We've talked about that at significant length, but how different would that free agent period have been for the Packers if they'd signed Malik Jackson to a comparable contract. He signed in Philadelphia for three years and $30 million. Seems like a bit of a steep price, but if the Packers had paid that and thought they were getting a good player for that price, what are the companion actions then? What are the corresponding consequences? You probably take one of the two Smiths off their list of signings for sure, maybe both, depending how the contracts work together from there. Maybe they don't sign Billy Turner if they still want to add the two Smiths to their defense this year. Would they still have enough to sign Adrian Amos? What combination of guys could the Packers still have gotten? Or would they have made some other moves and still signed all four of the guys in addition to Malik Jackson? Say they signed Jackson, signed Zedaria Smith, signed Preston Smith, signed Billy Turner, signed Adrian Amos, then, to clear space for those guys, maybe release Jimmy Graham. Who knows? Maybe you don't sign him or give him that roster bonus and instead just clear up some cap space. Interesting permutations there. We'll obviously never know the answers, but I like identifying those places where the Packers could have gone in an entirely different direction and thinking about the consequences had they gone that way. How concerned should we be when the Packers play the Philadelphia Eagles this year? Out of all the teams we've previewed so far, I would say the Packers should be the most concerned about the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's not entirely about the Philadelphia Eagles, though they do seem like the sort of team that would give the Packers fits early in the season, just a solid team top to bottom, well coached, a quarterback that they like, offensive players who seem to know what they're doing. To me, this is a question of timing. The Packers are playing them early in the season, week four, but they're also playing them on Thursday night, which is a bit of a mixed blessing, but does have some, obviously, because it's mixed, have some some drawbacks. For one, you do get that Thursday nighter out of the way early. That's a blessing. But you also don't have a ton of prep time for Philly because it's a short week. You don't have a lot of stuff on tape from them because it's early in the week. They don't have a ton of prep on you, though. And if you're going to play a sloppy early or a sloppy Thursday night game, you might as well do it early in the season. Everybody's got to do it. Just get it out of the way early, and we'll move on from there. We'll see. I am concerned about playing a team like the Eagles on Thursday night this early in the season. There's nothing you can really do about it, but it is going to be a headache. Last in our preview section for this week, this episode is the Dallas Cowboys, who the Packers will play in Dallas in Week 5. In 2018, the Cowboys were 10-6. and six. That was good for first in the NFC East, 
They were the surprise beneficiary last year of a midseason trade. We talked about their decision to trade a first-round pick for the Raiders' Amari Cooper a few times last season, and I think I was wrong about this. It worked out for the Cowboys. Even now, it does seem like a steep price to give up because they are going to have to re-sign him as well, but it's hard to argue the results. He played well for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott seems to have played well after Amari Cooper arrived in Dallas. It just seems like it worked out for them. On the whole, their offense wasn't great last year, really with or without Amari Cooper. They were 24th in the Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Dak Prescott was fairly efficient as a passer, but the volume was lacking, I would say. He completed 67.7% of his passes. That's real good. He had 22 touchdowns against only eight interceptions. Also good. But he only threw for 3,900 yards, despite appearing in all 16 games last season. That's a bit of a head-scratcher. Ezekiel Elliott did run for 1,400 yards. The advanced stats don't love the raw, love him as much as the raw numbers do, though. That's, a, that's another head-scratcher there. Maybe they figure that with the offensive line success they've had in Dallas, just about anybody should be able to put up good to great numbers. The defense was good, but not great as well. Uh, the By DVOA, they were 16th against the pass and 5th against the run. Nothing to scoff at. They're certainly better than what the Packers have been lately, but all things considered, you'd much rather those numbers were flipped. I think you'd rather be high against the pass than against the run. If you're going to be average against one, I'd rather be average against the run and elite against the pass. But you are what you are, and you can't necessarily always control all of those those variables that lead to those numbers. The Cowboys certainly were better off on defense than the Packers last year. The Cowboys' most notable offensive addition should still probably be Amari Cooper. Just because of how that trade happened, you almost want to bump it forward into the next offseason. It's just kind of how trades are in the NFL. You're not necessarily looking at them for short-term impact. And really, that the Cowboys got any short-term impact out of Amari Cooper is a bit of a surprise. And a a big reason that the, the trade is the win that it was. That's noteworthy. But if we're just looking at pure notable additions just from the offseason, it's probably Randall Cobb. I don't have to explain to you what Randall Cobb is as a player, his strengths, his weaknesses. You know him probably better than most. There are many good reasons that the Packers did not bring back Randall Cobb, but still quite a beloved player in Green Bay had many, many notable moments uh, with the Packers. And I will just say about Randall Cobb that I am glad that Jordy Nelson retired this offseason so the Packers don't have to play both Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson as members of different teams in 2019. That would have been, well, that wouldn't have been any fun. Their most notable defensive addition in Dallas has to be Demarcus Lawrence. And that comes with a little bit of an asterisk because he wasn't technically an addition per se. They just re-signed him. But he did re-sign Resign, and the figure at which he resigned after being slapped with the franchise tag makes this very notable. It's a five-year, $105 million contract for Mr. Lawrence with $65 million guaranteed. That is quite a chunk of change. Congratulations. Uh, don't spend it all in one place. I know that's that's just an expression, obviously. He's not going to spend it all in one place, but I guess that would be more of a request then. Please, don't spend all $65 million of your guaranteed money in one place. That would 
that'd probably not be very wise. It's easy to see why the Cowboys did this deal. Double-digit sacks for Lawrence in the last couple of years, last two years. He only just turned 27, so the big money years of this deal, the ones where he's really going to be counting big time against the salary cap, the years in which he becomes a lot easier to cut, all happen after age 30. That's good. Uh, the Cowboys were dealing with significant depth issues along their defensive line. Randy Geg- Gregory, who had six sacks in 2018, has been suspended indefinitely. David Irving, who only played two games in 2018, but was a solid rotational player before that, has also been suspended indefinitely. Then he retired, so he's not going to be playing one way or another in 2018. The Cowboys couldn't afford to lose another guy. And judging by the money, you wonder if they could afford to to keep him either. But uh, that's an entirely different issue. Just from the, the player perspective, you can see why they kept him around. So how concerned should we be when the Packers play the Cowboys this year? To me, the Cowboys seem like a team that you have to take seriously, but not necessarily worry about. Among the, team who the, pack, the teams who the Packers are playing early this season, the Cowboys are one whose identity I am most interested to see shape up before the Packers play them. You won't really get much of an opportunity to figure out what the Bears and the Vikings are before you play them. Same with the Eagles, but they seem a lot more dangerous because of their coaching situation. The Cowboys have a lot of nice parts, uh, but you wonder whether they'll ever be equal to the sum of their parts or or greater than the sum of their parts. Uh, The Cowboys seem like Regular underachievers under Jason Garrett, and that's kind of been the hallmark of his tenure. Despite them winning the NFC East last year, I'd be a lot less worried about them than I would be about the Philadelphia Eagles, and that could be just the difference between the ceilings on Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott. Prescott's a fine player, but it doesn't doesn't seem like he's necessarily going to take you apart the way that Carson Wentz potentially could, if healthy. I'm just not as worried about the Cowboys, again, here in July, as it would be about the Philadelphia Eagles or any of the other teams the Packers are playing super early on. Let's take a second to talk about something entirely different before I send you along your merry way for this particular episode. We have reached a significant plateau here, episode number 200. We haven't really historically done a lot for these these milestone podcasts, partly because I don't know what to do. And I think that's kind of the answer. Uh, I don't know if there's anything we need to do to celebrate something that we, we've done, partly because most of the accomplishment here is not from me, not from the Power Sweep or Blue 58 or anything like that. It's really a listener-based accomplishment because if nobody listened to this show, it'd be hard to justify continuing doing it. But what I can say is thank you because more people are listening to the show than ever before. I won't belabor you with the exact figures, and I don't think anybody really cares either, but listener support has been just tremendous through this entire offseason, and really it's been a steady, steady stream of growth ever since we really got into Blue 58 2.0 in the fall of 2016. It'll be three years ago. Wow. Um, I'm really thankful for everyone who's both found and stuck with the show throughout the life of this program so far. In part because um, as much as I try to do the absolute best I can on every single episode, they're not all necessarily the greatest. Uh, And that's as much just looking back over the last three years due to life stuff as anything else. When I started this show, we were living in an apartment in Bloomington, Indiana, 
I did not have a full-time job. Uh, since then, I've gotten a job. We bought a house and moved. Uh, we sold that house. I got a different job. Bought a different house. And a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's been a constant stream of change around me as I've done this show. But having this show has been a fun way to have a unique kind of stability. You're always going to be in the podcast studio, wherever that happens to be. Maybe it's just a card table and a spare bedroom and a microphone and a laptop. Always having that, always having the the upcoming deadline of getting a show out has been a great source of stability for me. And I think that is really cool. And hearing feedback from people all over the world, hearing and reading comments from people who like the show and even from people who don't necessarily like the show, who disagree with things or um, just don't like it outright, has been great. And I'm really thankful for that. So thank you for getting us to 200 episodes. Uh, I I know I always wax a little bit uh, nostalgic on episodes like this, but the thing that I would, I guess, like to leave you with as we hit number 200 is that if you ever are inclined to think about starting your own version of this, whatever that may be. Maybe maybe it's about the Packers. Maybe it's about something else. You should do it because more than anything else, I think the process of creating something is very rewarding. Trying to do the best show you can, trying to do a show that appeals to people who think about things the way you do, um, connecting with those people just through your ideas and Uh, going through the process of putting something out there. That is so rewarding. And it's cool to be able to look back on what you've created and think about what it took to get you there. That is something that I, I guess I think about the most often when I think about hitting whatever milestone it is. If it's 10 episodes or 50 or 100 or in our case now 200, think about the work that you had to put in to get yourself to that point. That's a sense of accomplishment. Make a show or a book or a blog or a website that is of interest to you first and foremost. And hopefully other people find it along the way. I've been lucky enough to have that happen here with with Blue 58. And hopefully that'll continue to happen over the next 200, 400, however many episodes as long as we continue to do this. I do plan to continue doing this for as long as I possibly can, however long that may be. And uh, I'm excited as we've got some more life stuff coming up here in the relatively near future to share that with you as well. Thank you for being a part of this for me, for listening, for sharing, for doing all of those things. I'm excited to keep doing this with you in 2019 and beyond. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this and the previous 199. I do appreciate everybody who takes the time to download and tune in. If you like what you heard, drop us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. That helps more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. A buck a month helps us offset our hosting costs for this and thepowersweep.com. Don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com as well. If you've got an idea for a show or just want to say hi, reach us on social media, via email, via our contact page at thepowersweep.com. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. Every bit of feedback you give us, every thought, question, whatever, helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time 
on Blue 58.